Thanks, Sam. Kia ora, everyone. I, I was just, uh, I think I met Sam in Poland. I think that's where we first met, uh, before, uh, before I met my beautiful wife. Uh, yeah, that was probably 20 years ago, is my guess. You were a younger man then. Uh, yeah. We have aged well, yeah. Uh, yeah, like Sam said, I, I'm an Anglican priest. Like, I never saw that one coming. Yeah, I, I, um, I was a youth pastor back in the States 100 years ago, and, and I saw these kids that wouldn't come to our really cool youth group. And, and I think God put that heart in me way long time ago that I just wanted people to be able to hear about Jesus in a way they could understand. You know, and so I'd see all these kids, and they were kind of the anarchist, atheist type kids, and they wouldn't come to our youth group. And uh, so eventually, we, uh, a group of us started praying, one, one of my youth staff and one of the kids in the youth group. And we, uh, we prayed probably for six months before we actually did something. And we're just praying, saying, God, what should we do? And a long story, but we ended up starting a Bible study for anarchist, atheist kids at a funeral home. It was just like perfect, uh, and um, we the very first night we had a handful of kids show, show up, and they were you know they were they looked like they they were, and um, and we had uh, Nathan the kid in the youth group he he jumped on top of the thing that they used to put the coffins on, and and he started talking about how Jesus healed the leper, and how he touched him, and uh, and the kids afterwards they said man that's me. That's, that's how I'm treated at school. They call me dirty. And, and then they said, can we start earlier next week? You know, because we, we, we called it the hardcore Bible study. And I only thought we were going to do one. I really, I didn't even think about the next week. And we did that for about 18 years. And uh, we grew into a church. And uh, we joined Steiger. And, uh, and I, I entered this world, this crazy world of kind of punks and street stuff in Minneapolis. Um, and it was amazing. And God did some really cool stuff. And we started going also to hippie festivals. Uh, and we ran the Jesus Kitchen at these festivals. And we we're able to communicate God's love to people. And um, along the way, uh, I was over here, met my beautiful wife um, in Waikanae of all places to, uh, to meet. Uh, not normally a place you go to meet your future spouse, apparently. Uh, uh, but we did, and we've been married now for 17 and a half, almost 18 years. Um, and, but along the way, we ended up coming back over here. A friend of mine became the Bishop of Wellington, and uh, he, uh, he said, I'm going to ordain you, <laughs> and we need you to go to Newtown to lead a very interesting little church there uh, called St. Tom's. And so we did that almost nine years ago now. And I don't know if you've been to Wellington or to Newtown, um, but it's an it's, it's a interesting part of Wellington. Um, the hospital's there. A lot of social services are there. A lot of people with, with addictions and mental health challenges uh, walk up and down the streets every day. And that is our church on Sunday morning. So back home right now, they just finished up doing family breakfast, where we, we sit around the table, where everybody is welcome at the table, 
and we sit there with about 80 to 90 uh, people. And then we move into the second part of our service where everybody's welcome around the table again. And uh, at one point we have, uh, when we do our Eucharist and I, you know, do the whole smells and I don't do the smells and bells, but we do the whole liturgy and, and then I stand in front and we have this parade of souls that come up for communion. And it's just beautiful in all of its craziness. Over the years, I've had, I've had some people, like when we were back in our chapel, little chapel that we have, um, I had somebody come up and light a cigarette on the altar candles while I was doing the Eucharist, which I thought was hilarious, but one of our older aunties didn't think it was so funny. And I've had um, people who've been, uh, you know, spinning out a bit, uh, hearing voices tell me, Mark, Satan told me to bring a knife next week and stab you. I said, oh, we're probably not going to listen to that voice, though, are we? No, no, we're not going to. And it's just this beautiful collection of people. I mean, and we, where we, I think we've, we have this church that can hold that. What better place to be spinning out, you know, to, to, than church? Now, it takes the whole church to be able to hold that, though, and it does get tiring. Um, but this is what the kingdom of God, I think, looks like. So you may have heard earlier this year we had a we had a fire in Newtown and Loafers Lodge uh, burned and uh, those were some of our guys that that we knew and they they would come to family breakfast and some would come to church and we lost um, some people and uh, it was it was really really hard time for us it was a hard time for the whole neighborhood it was just really unsettling because. Most of the street scene at some point have lived at Loafer's Lodge, a place that probably shouldn't have existed. Um, and uh, I was walking down the street shortly after that, and I had somebody come to me who kind of I knew from the neighborhood, and this person said, Mark, I think I caused the fire. I'm like, what do you mean you think you caused the fire? And this person said, well, I was walking through the street, Walking down the street, I felt like God wanted me to prophesy over Newtown. And so I prophesied and I said, Newtown, if you don't repent, you're going to go to hell. And this person said, I think maybe that resulted in the fire at Loafer's Lodge. And my blood was starting to boil when I heard this person say that. And I mean, taking a step back, I'm like, oh, this is this is the product of the culture that she's a part of in 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 her church you know and it's not that person's fault but that's their view of God and and I just said I think if God was going to judge Wellington or Newtown he wouldn't start with Loafer's Lodge people who've who've had really really tough lives he wouldn't start there but it was like that's the picture of God that some people have. And this morning, I'm, I'm listening to the liturgy that we're reading and, 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 you know, the songs that we're singing about the character of God and how good he is, how kind he is. But sometimes that is not filtering into the way we live our lives every day. And it produces a culture where God's kind of mean 
and he's not very kind. So I have two, we've been going through the uh, Gospel of Matthew the last few years at St. Tom's. It's just kind of how, how I roll. I grew up with, you know, preaching through a book of the Bible. And so we've been doing that for a while. And, and I've been sitting with, we're not in chapter 11 and 12 anymore. We're, we've moved on. But I, I'm stuck there in my head a little bit. So Matthew is this amazing, it's, a, it's brilliant the way Matthew arranged his gospel when you sit with it. It's just like, this is awesome. And he's got five big chunks of teaching that he kind of hangs things on. And, and there's one in chapter 10, and there's one in chapter 13. And oddly enough, between chapter 10 and chapter 13 are chapters 11 and 12. And the end of chapter 11 says this, come to me. All you who are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And then in chapter 12, Matthew quotes from Isaiah 42. Um, and he's, he's applying this to Jesus. And the prophet Isaiah says, Here is my servant, God speaking through Isaiah. Here's my servant whom I've chosen, my beloved, with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not wrangle or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. He will not break a bruised reed or quench a smoldering wick until he brings justice to victory. And in his name, the Gentiles, the nations, will hope. So you have these, these two really powerful pictures of who Jesus is, the face of God, and we, we see this description of him and this person who says, if you, if you come to me, I'm going to give you rest. I will show you a life that is livable, that won't kill you. You'll have, you'll have rest for your soul. And in between those, and, and then he, he, you know, we get this picture of, of someone who will, not, who will not break a bruised reed who will not stomp out a smoldering wick. Now, those are metaphors. He's not talking about reeds and wicks. He's talking about people, right? In between those two are two stories where the religious leaders of the day have elevated this religious ritual that was supposed to be a gift and give rest into this thing that became a weight and it meant that hungry people couldn't get fed and, and broken people couldn't get healed because you had to do it right. And you can read those stories if, if you get a chance to. And Jesus pushes against both of those. Uh, when we were talking about this, this idea of a yoke, so the yoke, I'm pretty sure the yoke, the, the, the word that's used there is, is referring to this thing that you would put on an animal or a person that allowed them to carry things. It wasn't necessarily the kind of yoke that hooks up with somebody else, but it doesn't matter if that's your view of it. I don't care. But this yoke that actually fits, that is 
that is light, that is easy. And, and that word easy is sometimes translated kind in other contexts. Wow, it's a kind yoke. And I was thinking about this because uh, I've done a lot of um, uh, backpacking in my day, just going to festivals, not because I actually enjoy uh, hiking in the mountains. It's not, not my thing. But I, I, but I, and I always went with a backpack that didn't fit. Like it didn't fit. And then one day, like 10 years into this journey, I, I got one that fit. And I'm like, oh, I get it. I get why people do this. Like for me, it was always just as painful. Every step is painful. And then you get something that fits. And it's like, wow, I could, I could do this forever. I could carry this forever. Because I've got something on my back that, that works. And Jesus is saying, I'll give you a life that you can live forever. You'll be able to live this forever. And so we, we, we need to take his yoke. We, we, take, we take the backpack that he gives us to wear. And I think a lot of us, like, we enter into that and we go, yes, finally. But somehow along the line, along the way, stuff gets put in there that we didn't, that we didn't know. We, we have a son who, who is into cubes. Rubik's Cubes, which I never imagined, but, but he's into Rubik's Cubes, really good at them, and he's got one of those, like, octagon ones. The, well, we, it went missing, like, for weeks. We didn't know where he couldn't find it anywhere, and then one day he opens up part of his school backpack, and it's in there. He, he's headed on his back, going to school for weeks, poking into into his, into his back. And he, I don't know what happened. He just got used to it, having pain there all the time. And, and I think sometimes we get stuff put in us, in the backpack, that we just live with, that, af- that affects how we do life. And, and some of those things, I believe, are ways of thinking about who God is and about who we are and about how life works. And I think the, the, the first one that we really need to pay attention to is that one of who, who God is. What is he like? What is he like? And when we get that off, man, we don't, we don't have a shot at live, have, have, having a life that's worth living forever. Like, we don't. And this idea that God is not gentle... Or that he, he breaks bruised reeds and he stomps out smoldering wicks. If, if that's our view of who God is, we don't have a shot. And I don't know why we do it. Like, I would walk away if that's what I thought God was like. And lots of people do. Uh, over the last um, four years, we, we, we kind of jump back into that festival hippie new age scene and we have a team of people that have we bought house buses and we have traveled around that way uh, when we're not in Newtown and um, and you talk to people there that are desperately, many of them desperately wanting what's real, what's true, wanting love, wanting a connection with something bigger than themselves and they've ruled out Christianity They've just ruled it out. 
because of their idea that, oh, the Christian God is just really angry and really mean. And they're not interested in that. They've been misinformed by someone, maybe by observation, but they've been misinformed. And so when we go into those spaces and we just, we just have morning and evening prayer and we worship God and we make too much food and we have people join us at festivals or, or places around the country and they get to hear a little bit about this kind of God that says, come to me. Are you weary? Are you overburdened? Are you carrying too much? If you come to me, not to an ideology, not to a religious practice, if you come to me, you're going to have rest for your soul. And when, we, and when people hear that, they go, this is good news. Like, this is such good news. And we've seen people coming, I mean, our beautiful Queen Esther, who's with us, came out of that scene. It's good news. Just such good news. And we can't forget that this is really good news. But we have to, we have to stay in that place where it's like, oh, yeah, he wants to give rest to my soul. He's gentle and humble. God is humble. God is gentle. A bruised reed is a reed that is not fit for purpose. You can't use it for anything. Whether it was a measuring thing, something that's broken and bent is not good for measuring, apparently. If you're a builder, I don't, I don't, I'm not. But apparently it's not good. And if, if you make an instrument out of a reed, which they would do sometimes, and it's munted, <laughs> it's not useful. Oh, he doesn't get rid of people who are not useful. And a smoldering wick, you know, a f something burning is supposed to be bright and warm, not, not annoying and irritating, right? If, if, if it's not, doesn't come to life, a fire doesn't, we've all tried to make a fire at some point and it hasn't worked and you just have, you just have smoke. And it's annoying, it's irritating. It's not doing what it's supposed to do. And even, even people who are annoying and irritating and aren't doing what they're supposed to do, don't get stomped out. None of those people get discarded. That is describing our God. That's describing Jesus as the anointed one. And in that same section, he's talking about justice and judgment. The judge of the universe is like that. Man, if we believe that, if we believe, oh, God is really like that, how would, that would just, that, that's a, that changes everything for sure. And if I believed that when I'm a smoldering wick and I'm a bruised reed, and I'm pretty sure we all get a turn at that, 
where we're just smoking up the place. And, you know, sometimes you, you can't get it together, right? I, I, I have this memory of going through a season of my life where I, I, could, I couldn't, get to, couldn't get it together. I was just messy. I was leading the church in Minneapolis at a time, which is not a good space to be in when you're leading stuff. But I can remember we were having a communion service at, at our church, the Salvage Yard, and I was, I was just, I, I was in so much pain, and I'm just crying, and I'm somehow on the floor under a table somewhere. I don't know what was going on, but I remember crawling over to, to my friend Lana, and, and she just looked at me. She goes, what's the matter, Mark? I said, I don't, I just, I can't. I can't do this. She goes, I know. That was all she said. I, I know. But in my mind, I just heard, ah, oh, she knows I'm, they know I'm like this, and it's, and it's okay. They're not going to stomp me out. They're not going to say, come on, get, get your act together. You should be on fire. You shouldn't be smoking. But they didn't, she didn't say that. My beautiful community in Minneapolis didn't do that. And when you have a community like that, that's part of living a life, having a life that's worth living forever. Where we, we make space for people. We don't discard people when they're not useful anymore. The thing about bruised reed and smoking wicks is I think God intends us to be together and to always probably have someone in our life that's, that's a smoking wick, irritating for our eyes. God designs it that way so that we can learn to love. I mean, if everybody was always had their stuff together and we're just shiny, happy people all the time, it's not too hard to love, right? No, oh, we're all happy. Look at that. Nobody's irritating. I learn how to love when somebody's annoying and irritating and pushes all my buttons. That's how I learn to love. And when we can create those kind of communities, big or small, that's having a life that's worth living forever. And that actually brings healing to bruised reeds and smoking wicks. I, I mentioned that um, at St. Tom's when I was talking about this. Someone's smoking up the place. And everybody laughed because that actually happens in our, <laughs> literally, <clears throat> in our group sometimes. So having, having a proper vision of who God is and knowing that who I am is that I'm just deeply loved, infinitely valuable, even when I'm smoking up the place. I, I think the other thing that, you know, this idea of how life works can sometimes mess up, um, you know, can be a, a a Rubik's Cube in our backpack. You know, we've, we've just got the wrong idea about how life works. I know that Sam talked about grief uh, last week. And for us to think 
that we will never have a life where we have to grieve. Oh, man, that's going to really mess us up if we think we don't have to go through really, really difficult things. That's like living in Wellington and thinking that it's never going to rain or be windy. You're going to be really disappointed with life all the time. I'm still working on that one, actually. So, yeah, that stuff is part of our lives, for sure. But I think the other thing that's in my mind right now is that, that it seems like, you know, when we talk about Christianity in Aotearoa, you know, when we're talking about our life here, and we're talking about all the things that we've lost, we no longer have this, or we, we're not respect, or whatever it is. We think that the way back to having the life that's worth living forever is to take back the power. If we just take back the power and get our, our, our you know, laws in place the way they should be, our schools in place the way they should be, then everything will be okay. And I'm not sure, now obviously I have kids in school, but I'm not sure that that's the path that Jesus took, the one to grab power and to be the one who gets to be in charge. Jesus took the path of humility and gentleness. And I just, I think we need to be careful. We have a lot of, we kind of live in a toxic culture, world. And we have a way of speaking about leaders, about each other. At least when we're behind a computer screen or a phone, we have a way of speaking that's really toxic. It doesn't resemble these verses at all. It doesn't resemble it. The idea of gentleness, of kindness, of not discarding people because they, what, say the wrong thing? And I think we need to be careful of, of thinking that that's a solution. Uh, we have a saying in our house that um, we, we say, oh, I, I need a savior. We, need, we actually need a savior. We don't need a better plan. We don't need even a better practice. Ultimately, we need a savior. And when we have a savior, then we'll probably get to a better practice and a better plan. But if I'm depending on my better plan and my better practice, I'm going to be in trouble. We need a savior. And a savior who's kind and who's good, and who wants to give us a life that's worth living forever. I keep referencing that. That's a Dallas Willard paraphrase of John 3.16, where he says, For God so loved, not hated, loved the world, that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever puts their confidence in him, pledges their allegiance to him, trusts him, will not live a dysfunctional, destructive, doomed life. That's my version. But we'll have a life that's worth living forever. I like that because it refers to life now and all the way into the future. And it comes when we hear Jesus' words saying, come to me. Come to me. Take my yoke 
Surrender to me. Take my yoke upon you. You will have a life that's worth living forever. So uh, as I was praying about this this morning, my guess is that we, we have people that are weary and overburdened in the room. I mean, you just throw a rock somewhere in New Zealand, you'll hit somebody who's weary and overburdened, right? I mean, we all are. We've been through a lot. We've been through a lot in the last years. But, and so, yeah, we're weary and overburdened. We need, we need to come to Jesus, not necessarily to an ideology, to practice all that kind of stuff. But I think, um, my guess is there's some people who just, you feel like a bruised reed. You feel like you're smoking up the place and, and the people are getting tired of your stuff. They just want you to get it together and you can't. And you can't get it together. I just want to acknowledge that if you're here and that's you today, you need to know you're not alone because there's probably someone else in the room today that feels like they're smoking up the room. And it's going to be okay. It will be okay. Even if it's not okay, it will be okay. Keep your eyes on Jesus. He will hang on to you when you can't hang on. He, he will. Because he's, he's like that. And he wants you just to receive his grace today. Yep. I'm going to pray. Lord, I, I pray this morning that you'd help us. Um, you know, we can't, we don't see you as clearly as we want to. But I pray that you would, if, if there's a, just something needs to shift in the way that we, the way we imagine you, not just in our prayers, but like at the core of our being, what we really think about who you are. If something needs to shift there, would you, would you be kind and by the power of your spirit begin to shift that for us? And I want to pray for the bruised reeds and the smoking wicks this morning. Um, I thank you that you were starting a movement <laughs> You were starting a revolution, and you did it by not discarding people who are broken. And I pray in our desire to see a movement and a revolution that we wouldn't crack some eggs to make the omelet.
Jesus, you said the main thing was to love God with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength and to love our neighbor as ourself. Would you show us how to do that practically when people are getting smoke in our eyes? I pray your blessing on this, this beautiful church, people whose hearts are, are turned towards you. I pray, Lord, that they would continue to grow in all that you have um, created them to be. And I pray... Um, I pray for family members of people who are here um, that have come into people's minds. Maybe they're adult kids or their grandkids or their friends um, who um, who've walked away from you or who never got to see who you really were. I just pray for those um, people today. And I pray you'd give hope for those who have been crying out in prayer that they won't, they won't give up. They won't give up because you're good and you're kind and you hear our prayers. You hear our prayers for people that we love. I pray this in, in your name, Jesus. Amen.